0: On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Kaya. And Kaya was in a psychologically abusive relationship with a chameleon of an abuser. It's a story of addiction, fear, smear campaigns, and post-relationship abuse. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. This is a podcast that gives a voice to survivors of toxic relationships. I am Brandon Chadwick, but my friends call me Chad, and thanks for tuning into this episode. So what is a narcissist, you may ask? Well, for the purposes of this podcast... We refer to a narcissist as anyone who has displayed a pattern of behavior that shows a limited capacity to appreciate others' perspectives. It is that simple. Now, if you have not been to our website recently at narcissistapocalypse.com and you want to be a guest on our show, at the top of the page there is a button that says Guest Form. Click on that button, fill out the form, and we will go from there. Also, on our website at narcissistapocalypse.com, we now have our very own Safe Community Social Network. And you'll see a button at the top of the page that says Community Support. Our community members are on there, they're posting in our forums. We have integrated Zoom support meetings. We have prompt workbooks for our episodes for you to dig deeper and get more clarity into your relationships and life. You can create and run your own events from meditations to closure ceremonies to even single mom groups. Our community members are all amazing and they're here to support you when needed and to cheer you on when needed. So you may come looking for just a little bit of support, but I guarantee you You'll be making tons of new friends in the process. So please go join our community today at narcissistapocalypse.com. And at the top of the page, you'll see a community support button. Press that button and join our wonderful community today and get the support that you need. Speaking of support, if you or someone you know are experiencing abuse, you are not alone domestic shelters.org offers an extensive library of articles and resources that can help you make sense of what you're experiencing, connect with your local resources and find ways to heal and move forward. so please do go visit domestic org to access this free resource and... When it comes to our show, to our support services, you know, right now we are running on a really shoestring budget. So if you think that we offer with this podcast something of value to you, please consider donating to our cause as it will help grow our support services and to reach a larger audience. We have some interesting ideas to help support you guys, and we're doing our best to get there and we just need a little bit more manpower to do so so sponsoring an episode of this podcast is a way to make a really big difference and you'll be helping thousands of survivors by doing so and this episode this week is sponsored by denise and to denise thank you so much for your generosity you're going to help out a lot of people. So Denise, a big shout out from everyone to you. We're giving you a giant big hug today. You've helped change a lot of people's lives. And I thank you for that. And if you want to sponsor next week's episode, you can email me at narcissistapocalypse at com and put in the tagline sponsor episode. And we'll go from there. And before we get started with this episode, I just want to discuss this episode with Kaya. And we recorded for a while and then we scrapped everything. We had some sound issues and and restarted. So I just really want to thank Kaya for being a trooper. A lot of it was (laughs) a lot of it. All of it was my fault. So I apologize to her for that. And, you know, this episode is uh, an interesting episode. It's Someone who she uh, was in a relationship with and the fear that she had that a lot of people do have became real and it was a scary situation for her, which still uh, haunts her to this day. And there's a lot of post-relationship abuse in this uh, story and... It's uh, scary when stuff like this happens, when you think that your life is in danger. So I really want to thank Kaya for sharing her story. She was brave going through it, brave to leave, and brave telling her story today. And from the bottom of my heart, thank you, Kaya, for doing this. And now, uh, everyone, this is my episode with Kaya. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. With me today, I have Kaya. How are you?
1: I'm good. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing well. This is take number two, everyone. We've had a lot of technical difficulties today. The last one was a big one, and it was all my fault and I apologize uh, to you for that. So thank you for for being here with me today. Today, we're going to hear your story. It's not just a story of a relationship with the abuser. It's also a story of your struggle with addiction problems, going through it originally, coming out on the other end, and then, you know, being swallowed by it again. Gain uh, having everything being used against you, and also uh, we're going to talk about how the children get uh, you know thrown into all of this. Uh, one that you had previous, uh, one that you had uh, with this person, and the horrible ride that you had to to go on. And I'm just thankful that you're here today, that you're talking to me, that you're okay, uh, that you you're going through everything, but you know you're you're still here, and you know Kaya, thank you. And without further ado, the floor is now yours.
1: Hey, well, thank you for having me and I'm happy to be here. Um, Okay, so while growing up, I grew up in a family with just, you know, my mom and dad are still married, even to this day. I was the oldest and I have two brothers and they're both, uh, both younger and we... Uh, we're just a good family. Uh, went to church Sunday mornings, Sunday nights. My dad like drove the, you know, youth church bus, you know, we were really involved. Um, and I, I, it, it just was a good family. And so I just, I probably, where I was extremely naive. I was naive to, you know, possibilities of, you know, things that can happen Um, I I don't know if my parents just didn't talk to me about certain people or certain stuff or things to watch out for, you know, but, um, I, I was naive, but things were really, really good. Um, in 2002, we, I break my neck. So I don't, I don't know if you want me to tell that story. It's a different guy, but you know, that's also a bad situation, but it's not as psychological Mm -hmm. as this relationship that I was talking about.
0: Yeah. So when, you know, you, you broke your neck and you had a recovery process uh, with that happening and you then got uh, hooked on, on pills, correct? Yes.
1: Yes. (laughs) Very much so. Uh, So I had to take opiates, you know, and uh, I, I, well, a, a lot of them. I had broken every bone in my neck. So, I mean, and I have my whole neck's hardware. Um yeah, I have fused bones. I've got wires, I've got bolts, I've got all of it. And so, uh, yeah, the, and I got extremely addicted to the pain pills. And with the opiate addiction, um, I was still kind of able to keep it together. I was still able to work and be a mom and do all of those things. But at, I'm starting to take more pain pills. I'm starting you know, to not take them as prescribed and all of that because I was an addict. So it's very tricky for people that are, you know, in the in the program that have chronic pain but are also an addict. And so you, it's hard to kind of keep that under control. It doesn't last long. You know, you're going to end up taking too much and not taking them responsibly. But...
0: So you end up from there uh, eventually in you know aa uh type programs uh you put your faith in not that you didn't have faith in god before but you put you know now you're like part of the program it's part of it um the big book and you know at this point your life is somewhat you know getting kind of back together uh, do you already have your first child at this point
1: yes yes my son was born in 95 so i didn't break my neck till 2002 and yeah um so I'm getting so, you know, I'm sober and I'm working the program. I am, uh, at, you know, before I'd met my ex, I was working at like Texas school for the Deaf, and that's on South Congress. It's a, you know, good job. I was, um, uh, you know, just very responsible. I was hitting meetings. All my friends were sober. Um, you know, I had really changed my life. My parents were proud, like the whole thing, you know, uh
0: and as far as you know your son's dad he's completely out of the picture at this point
1: uh well I have two sons okay. the one that was time um, his dad left when he was 2
0: okay so so that one um uh his, his his dad is gone and your second son will be from the your relationship so we won't get to that until need be so you know that guy is out of the picture and that man himself um who was abusive towards you he was someone who um you know you're an attractive uh, person and fed into all these things uh about you and the the way you look and at the same time you're not being Uh, accepted as far as I'm smart or things, you know, on a spiritual level and connecting on other things besides that superficial kind of thing. So, you know, eventually, you know, you are in this relationship. Um, You are now out of that relationship. You've gotten your life on track after it kind of went off the rails with the addiction. And now you, uh, I guess, eventually meet your uh the the abuser in this story uh at at a restaurant is that correct
1: yes he was a busboy and my friend that i was with said hey don't you think he's cute and i said i don't know i guess and when i got up to go to the restroom she had given him my number and i didn't ask her to. um and so he ended up giving some free nookie there's <laughs> it kind of sounds funny now because I have a baby with him but um there's a dessert called a nook. it's like cookie dough and a deep fry it and you know whatever and so I got you know he ends up you know calling me and we hang out but yeah at the time he just you know I had dated you know like my ex that I broke my neck with I mean I had dated guys drug addicts people you know these terrible men and I, you know, I'm looking at someone sober, and, yeah, he didn't have the best job and or whatever, but uh, he's sober. I mean, that's, like, a huge plus. And he had this way of, like, you know, where he could quote the big book verbatim. I mean, verbatim. And the Bible, he could quote the Bible verbatim. So I'm like, oh, my God, the best of two worlds is God that's covered in tattoos and loves punk rock music. But, oh, but he's spiritual and he's sober. Like, oh, my God, it's from God, you know? But, um, look, I mean, looking back, I mean, it was not, <laughs> but, uh, I guess that would, you know, I feel like I got bamboozled, <laughs> you know, I didn't know, I didn't know what was coming down the pike, but at the time I thought it was someone that maybe I had something in common with that was also wanting to better their life and have a relationship with God,
0: you know? And as far as things that were different about him with your uh, with other people it was always about your looks and you know you told me before we started this uh conversation that with him uh he ignored you in, in in a way and uh you know it wasn't he wasn't fawning over you and your looks like other people and that made you want to find out more about him because obviously something had to be different about him.
1: Yeah. Well, while he's over here quoting the big book and, you know, quoting God at the same time, he's not falling over me with my looks. He's not trying to show me off to all his friends. He's not doing these things. And, but so I'm thinking, oh, wow, he really does have some depth. Oh, wow. He really is different. You know, he's, he's not impressed by the way that I look. Oh, he likes me for something more. He likes me for my heart, you know, or my, like, whatever. But but then it would start to be, like, not only is he just not impressed with the way that I look, now he's starting to cut me down, you know, and do these little subtle things. Like, um, like grab a fat roll, which I have none. I mean, I'm zero. I'm extremely thin. You know, but anyone, if you pinch their skin, it's going to make a roll, you know, or he would do that, or should you be eating that, or like jiggle my arm, or say I go in for a kiss, because by this time, now I am curious, and I am seeking to, you know, now now it's, he's like flipped the script on me, like now I'm seeking the attention, and so I'll go in for a kiss or whatever, and he would do this thing where he would like scour his face, or like pull his head back, and like, I just... Was like, what is this? Like, I've never been treated this way. Like, n- now I'm, it's not that he's not impressed by me. It's that he's, you know, it, he's pulling back or whatever. So it's, 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 I guess, like a back and forth, you know? Like, so, so
0: it, did that happen early on? Yeah. So, yeah. Er, so early on, while, you know, he's not love bombing you, but he's, For you specifically, he's doing these negative things, and those negative things are actually enticing you to find out more because in your mind, he's playing hard to get?
1: I don't know if he's playing hard to get or he just, like, cracked the code or, like, I have – I don't – looking back, I do think it was a game. But whatever his motives were, it did in in me create – and a curiosity and an interest and or like I'm I'm going to you know attain this or whatever you know like it it created like where I think he you know he likes me for something more like if well if he's, if he's not here for the way that I look he must really like me for who I am you know or
0: so you so these red flags were happening, and you didn't see them as red flags at all you oh, found, no. you you saw them more as like I want to like I need to go deeper here he's yeah. doing this because he's not attracted to me physically. he is here for me, the real me, and yeah. that's an i don't think we've ever heard that before, like that you know but that for your psychology, that worked for you
1: yeah, it worked for me because. I had never been treated that way. It had always been about the way that I looked, you know? And so, yeah, if he had, a, if that had been his tactic, it would not have worked. And this was the first, I'd never been treated that way. And yeah.
0: And it, it is part of, you know, kind of getting away with that is because he has, you know, quoting the big book and all these things. So he's upstanding in one way. And mm-hmm. is he also playing the victim in other ways?
1: Yeah, with – with he ends up – it turns out that he had had, like, three other kids besides our son with three other women, and they had all cut him off. So I felt bad for him. I mean, how dare these women? Why would you take a a child from someone, you know? Um, My oldest son's dad had left when he was two, and I always wanted him to have a dad. So I didn't understand a woman that had a dad that would cut him out. You know, I – I get it now I get it now Ryan but I felt bad for him there his parents were extremely extremely wealthy and they had sent him a typed letter you know cutting all communication with him and he was like living in a sober house with a bunch of men and at the time he was doing interferon shots and you know trying to work and I just felt bad for him, you know? Like, I really felt like he was trying to change his life and, like, all these obstacles were coming against him, you know? Like, how dare these people treat him so badly, you know? And
0: Why did he say that his parents cut him off?
1: Well, because he had had nine years of sobriety and um, he had relapsed. So I guess during that relapse, the relapse was prior to me meeting him. I met him right after he got sober again, but there was a period of time that he was on the streets or either, you know, off and on sober. And I guess during that time period, a lot of bad stuff happened. And this is prior to me meeting him, but, uh, I don't know exactly what happened to make them cut him off. But, you know, when you hear that, you hear that someone cut their child off or their son, your immediate response is like what? A mom and a dad sent you a typed letter. Like you don't you don't think deeper than that. Like oh, maybe he actually did something terrible. I, that never crossed my mind. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was immediately his bad parents' fault. How dare them? It was immediately each of these child's moms. How dare them? You take a child away from a dad. You know he's a parent too. Like I, it just. I don't know.
0: So you have this combination of things here that are running you from uh, faith, from AA. You have trauma, not that you have, sorry, you have, you're bonding over your similar trauma in that way or what you're kind of going through. You have that in common. You have punk rock in common, or at least you think you have punk rock in common. And then, you know, you're ignoring the red flags and you're not ignoring them because to you, they're, they're hooks, And then you have this part, which is, uh, victim playing and, you know, with this right here, is it fair to say that like, he has you kind of like hooked in for, for good here. This guy's a good guy. He's just trying to get better, kind of just like you and, and, you know, you yourself are like, this guy needs a break. I'm going to give this guy the break that he needs.
1: I was rooting for him.
0: <laughs> yeah. No one could be this guy's biggest cheerleader than you. Exactly. And yes. and this guy really wants to be a dad. My son needs a dad.
1: Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah.
0: You're hooked. You're in. Yeah. So what, so what happens from here? Or did I miss anything?
1: Well, uh, no, you didn't miss anything. And that's all exactly right. Well, uh, so it kind of, I'm pregnant. I get pregnant. Um, and while I'm pregnant, uh, word gets out that I'm pregnant and I start having strangers, many, many strangers, not a couple, but many coming up to me after a meeting or, you know, before a meeting or where they saw me, you know, around town and just coming up to me, you need to have an abortion. You need to have an abortion. And here's why. And they start giving me a rap sheet on this guy. Yeah. And a lot of this stuff was really bad, but again, I'm already hooked. So when they're telling me this stuff, it did scare me. It did. I made an appointment for an abortion. That's how much it scared me. But at the same time, you know, like it it did kind of raise this defense in me as well, you know. Um, But I, I did make an appointment for an abortion. It did scare me that bad. When it came down to the day of the appointment, I did not go. I had never had an abortion. The way I was raised, we talked about, I was raised in church earlier, and I just had a real spiritual um, conviction over that. Like, I had done a science project in, like, junior high where I went to Planned Parenthood and, you know, watched some videos of them actually performing abortions, and I saw, like, the fetus in the womb, and it just kind of, it wasn't going to work for me. I was not going to be able to have an abortion. So when it came down to the day of, um, I did not go. So now I'm going to have this baby and, um, I have the baby, but I'm watching him with the baby and I'm like, wow, like no one's going to love my son this way. Like, look how much he loves my son. But my mom had told me at that time that like he would hold the baby in the hospital. My mom came, you know, she was in the hospital too. And he would look over his shoulder at my mother and just glare at her. And she said it gave her, like, a scary feeling. Like, he just kept holding the baby and staring at her with this, like, mean look. And I remember her pulling me aside and telling me that, that it, like, frightened her. And it and it gave her, like, you know, chills. And, and, and I didn't believe her. I believe, I believe her now with everything that's happened since then and him trying to get my son and all that, which we'll get to later. It all makes sense. But at the time, I thought my mom was lying and not lying she's not a liar but I didn't I thought maybe she was exaggerating her like read something wrong she did not he had a plan from the get-go he had the plan from the moment he met me and um so anyways I have the baby and I end up uh moving back to Waco that could have been like a clean break for me it was not because he follows me to Waco and so uh We end up, he convinces me to get back in a relationship with him. My son, my oldest son is with us. He's 13. And, oh, I would like to back up just a little bit. When we were still in Austin before we moved to Waco, um, when I had my 13-year-old, like, my my 13-year-old was also telling me things that were not setting right with him. And I didn't believe him. So now, you know, I have my mom at the hospital, tells me this weird, eerie look that he's holding the baby. Well, my son is like, you know, mom, um, like we had went to eat one day and he said, he, he, my ex says, I'll buy your meal, but I'm not buying his, you know, like those kind of things Or like my son had told me there was a skate park by our house that my son would skate at all the time, like skateboarding. Well, my son was driving, skating home from the skate park. And so my ex had moved into my apartment with me and my 13 year old. So he's living there like rent free, you know, and got me pregnant. And so my son's skating home to this, for, you know, a couple miles, and my ex drove by him, slows down, looks at him, and snarls, and then laughs at him, and drives home and made my son skate the rest of the way, which is a few miles. Why, he could have picked him up in the van, he could have brought him to the house. But, he, and so when my son told me that, you know, I'm like, what? Like, that doesn't make sense. Like, no, you know, like maybe he didn't know it was you. Like, you're you're creating excuses looking back yeah that is what happened he was pushing my son out this from the moment he got me pregnant and that was an, another thing that people were telling me when they were telling me to have an abortion they were saying he got you pregnant on purpose i also did not believe that at the time I, I absolutely believe it now he did he got me pregnant on purpose but so in the second he got me pregnant on purpose he starts pushing my son out of the picture my oldest and um i think that's real important for people to know because uh, you you don't think that people would do that. You don't, you might hear of women that have gotten pregnant on purpose, which I still don't even know anyone that does stuff like that. But, you know, for, to know that a man is, you know, getting people pregnant on purpose and then psychologically abusing them for years to come because they have an agenda in mind. And so I think that's important for people to know that, you know, that people do operate that way and think that way. Um, and just to be careful, you know, but, um, so I start having, you know, the people, you know, telling me his rap sheet and stuff, getting scared, but i I end up having the baby moved to so Waco. He follows me. I, at some point start drinking after I had the baby, just wine. You know, I think, Oh, it's, it's going to be okay. I can just drink wine. It's no big deal. Well, I, I end up relapsing. And the second I relapsed, like, you know, I had told my family, like, okay, I need to go to treatment. Like, I really want to be sober. I shouldn't have started drinking again. And. That always leads to other things for me. So I had told my family I want to go to treatment. And we had it all scheduled for me to go to treatment. Well, my, And my ex knew this. Well, that was his ticket, though, because he's always wanted that baby. Remember, he got me pregnant on purpose. So he immediately calls CPS on me. And when he calls CPS on me, you know, he gets the baby taken away. And uh, meanwhile, he's, I don't, you know, AA clicks can be very, they can be very, very clicky, very, very judgmental. And so, for someone to relapse, oh, start drinking again. Oh, this poor baby. So they've they've all sided with him. So you know, remember he had this terrible rap sheet in Austin. Everyone hated him. It's like it's like he almost was like, here's my chance to be the good guy, you know. And, And and I'm someone that's you know truly wanting to be sober again and really gonna get it back together. But he called CPS on me, so now I have an open CPS case because I had used drugs, you know, during my relapse. And um. So he had this child for like nine months where the child stayed with him and another guy that was sober. Actually, I think a few guys. And so it's a bunch of guys in a house, in a sober house with my son and I've got an open CPS case. And yeah, it is wrong that I had relapsed and stuff, but I also, you know, I I feel like that that was like an intentional kind of thing where he kind of planned, okay, I'm an abuser. I'm going to, you know, emotionally abuse her and talk bad to her and make her feel bad about herself and all these things. So he ends up getting my son living with him and stuff. And, uh, he uses that to get his parents back in the picture. So now his parents are back in the picture. His parents, I had it before cut him off. And uh, so I'm starting to have like a bunch of AA people in Waco, you know, mean being mean to me and then you know different church groups are also like he's using that pity and so he would do little things prior to us entering into a room of people and i just would i never reacted well to those situations so then he could easily turn these groups of people against me and i was always the bad guy and then when i had that open cps case um like he had went straight to the daycare where our son went which was a church daycare but um you know, they had, like, an actual daycare. It was a church, but they had an actual daycare for people that work or whatever. And so he had went to them, and he's like, do not let her up here. Like, if you see her up here, you better call the cops and, like, screaming at them and stuff. Which is funny because at the time, there was a girl that worked there. She's one of my closest friends today. And I never – it took me a while to figure out that she, she, after we became friends that she actually worked at that daycare. And she remembers my ex coming in there you know, screaming at the people at the daycare, like, you better not let her up here. You better not. You know, it's just like he was eating up. He was just eating up, eating us up, just soaking it all in that he finally had a kid and he finally, you know, was the good guy in some situation. Does that make
0: sense? So, well, I just have a question for you. So you, you moved to Waco. He comes <laughs> with you to Waco, correct? Yes. And you are uh, somewhat of a family for how long before all of this starts happening? Gosh,
1: probably I don't know. I'm really bad with time frames. Probably, probably just a few months, maybe like. Okay,
0: so you guys are actually getting along for three months, something like that. Just a few
1: months. He's living
0: with you in Waco. Yes, like I. So so sorry. So he's living with you in Waco. You go to do the the sober living situation because you relapsed, and then he moves out with the child.
1: Yes, yes. And,
0: and where yeah. is your 13-year-old stay?
1: Uh, my 13-year-old, I think, went to my... Because I went into the sober house. I think my 13-year-old went with my parents. My ex... T- my parents and I, they've always been really involved. And so... in Waco's small. Uh, small. But um, so he goes... So my 13-year-old goes with my parents. My ex has my youngest now. And at the time is, like, really... Uh, triangulating me with a bunch of people and you know churches and AA groups and at the same time I am relapsing like there is actual reason for some people to you know oh god you know you know he's getting a lot of sympathy I'll say it that way a lot of sympathy so
0: so just to make everything pretty clear at this point your relationship is is split I mean Three months into this thing, it's split. And now you guys are at war and a child here is being a pawn in this whole entire game.
1: Yes. Okay. Well, not really that we're at war. I don't know. Uh, war wouldn't be there. He's at war. I, I'm, I don't realize I'm a, a part of it. A- freaking you know master manipulating game session i don't know i'm involved with all that for maybe 10 years down the road
0: okay but, so because so, i'm you're just getting confused here so do you know that he's the one that called the the child services on you
1: yeah i do know he has told me i do know he's no the one no, no, that no but me. at that
0: time do you know that that's him
1: <sighs> i i don't remember if i knew at the time um I think so. I think so, yeah. I don't think he kept that a secret at all. I know for a fact now. But I think he was always pretty open about it. Like, well, you did relapse. Well, I did, you know. But I also was wanting to go to treatment. Also, you know, my relapses were always extremely short. Like, it wasn't like I was, you know, gone for months or years or anything like that. But um, anyways, so he ends up, you know, doing this thing with, oh, the CPS, let me, let me back up. I think this is important. CPS at the time, they would meet with him. They would meet with me. They would meet with my parents. I was doing classes, all of this. And CPS pulled my mom aside, my parents, both of them, and said, your, your daughter's being emotionally abused. Your daughter, you need to get this man away from her. Uh, many times throughout our relationship, either hosp- hospitals had told my parents that. CPS made us see counselors and all of that, and they all told my parents the same thing, that I was being emotionally abused, that I was being psychologically abused. So, you know, CPS caseworkers, I was there for drugs. It was bad. I relapsed. I'm bad. And it was wrong. It was absolutely wrong. But for CPS to be able to see through that, and they were able to say, there's something deeper going on here. I really respect them for that. Looking back, I really, really do. And I hope that they do that in more women's lives. I mean, because... um you know, he was really using that relapse, like, oh, and getting a lot of sympathy and a lot of pity and all of that. Well, no one was able to take a deeper look and say, yeah, she did relapse and that was wrong, but there's something more at play here. And for them to know that it really meant a lot to me, you know, um, I've, I've actually even tried to just recently, I contacted, I've contacted CPS, I've contacted, um, you know, women's abuse centers and stuff. And, you know, now that I'm almost five years sober and all of that, I've told them I would really like to work with women because how many more women that are going through uh, substance abuse, how many more of them are really, there's something deeper going on? They're, they're actually victims of emotional and psychological abuse and they don't know it. You know, how many more people are getting their kids taken away or getting bullied from, you know, even religious groups, churches, you know, AA groups, all this, and, and no one's taking a deeper look saying where, who's the actual culprit here? Like what's actually going on? Yeah. Let's get the drugs and alcohol removed, but there's something else at play here, you know? And I think that's important for people to, you know, have a broader perspective in that sense. Um,
0: So after he calls uh, child services on you, are you upset with him? Yeah. Okay. And, yeah. and does your relationship actually, when you come out of it, does your relationship actually continue with him? Like, do you actually live together again?
1: Later on, yes. Mom. Okay. That was something always hard. Like, once we had gotten back together later on in the relationship, it was always hard for me to kind of accept the fact that this man called CPS on me when I was begging to go to treatment. Like, you save CPS calls for people that have no intention of getting sober, not someone that had a brief relapse and is begging for treatment. You know, like he could have easily said, yeah, let's get you in a treatment if he actually loved me and was like a compassionate person. But, you know, maybe he was, you know, just trying.
0: So, sorry. So, so child services, you know, as you said, is noticing these patterns of abuse that are happening. So, you know, when you... Of, you know they 're probably in your life for a long time after this, so when you like start when you get out of there, what are the tactics that are being used against you what's actually kind of happening where is it devaluation that starts um is is he kind of you know um chipping away at your self-esteem what's kind of happening going on and and how is he uh, i guess treating your son or is your son being pushed out more uh, can you kind of explain everything
1: some of the manipulation tactics like to me i think this is important it kind of skips ahead a little bit but so th- this person and i had we had followed each other from cities to cities really it was him following me like i would try to get away or or either he would move to Austin and then beg me back and do these things like show up places I work. Like he would show up at, um, my child's like soccer games or, you know, T-ball games and, or showed up at my granny's funeral and, you know, crying, just like granny, like screaming and like crying worse than any family member there. And, you know, just doing these things to get me back. And then as soon as he would get me back, it would start the devaluation again. It would start, um, the triangulations and he was so good at triangulating. But, um, so anyways, I, at one point, you know, he had moved back to Austin and he's coming to Waco trying to beg me back and getting me and my son to move to Austin. So to me, this is a pretty good story. My son was starting, it was either kindergarten or first grade, but it was our first, it was his first day of school. And so my, my ex and I and my son, were walking, and so in Austin, at this at this school, it was very, very busy in the morning. There was a lot of people on the streets, like all, you know, and, and it's the first day of school, all the parents are walking the kids into the, the building, so they're all having to park their car, so you've got all the side streets where those houses, you've got just cars, cars, cars parked, and all the parents are walking up holding their kids' hands, and, you know, it's a happy day. Well, my ex and I were holding my son's hand, and we're walking up, you know, with all the other parents on this side street. We're happy. You know, we're excited for my son. Everything's good. We did not have a bad morning at all. Out of nowhere, like, out of nowhere, my son, I mean, I'm sorry, my ex starts screaming at one of the other mothers, like a mom that was with her child just screaming at her, calling her names, and, like, just at the top of his lungs, and so everyone just stops and stares at us, everyone, and, uh, the lady, I remember the look on her face, she was horrified, like, she's looking at him, like, what kind of parent would do this, you know, it's like, all these children around, you know, and, So the lady, like, finally walks off or whatever, and I asked my ex, I said, why would you do that? Like, this is our son's first day of school. Like, he should be excited and feel safe and happy. Like, why would you do that? Why would you pause a scene? And he said she was staring at my tattoos. And I said, well, why would, if you know, if you're so sensitive to people staring at your your tattoos, why did you cover your whole body in them? Well, he got mad and he threw my hand down because so we were holding hands. He threw my hand and he disappeared through the crowd. And I could not believe it. Like, here he goes. And i was still with my son. And looking back, this is going to make a lot of sense in a minute. But at the time, I'm like, what just happened? And I remember taking a picture of him walking through the crowd because I just could not believe this just happened. Like, what is happening? Anyway, so we finally, like me and my son, get up into the building. We find, like, they've got paper on the walls, like, where it tells you which class and, like, all of that. So I find my son's class. We go in there. My, my ex is already in the classroom, and he is completely different. There's not a spark of anger in him. He is laughing. He's leaning in close to the other moms. He's, like, oh, <laughs> like belly laughing and just, like, he's got all these moms around him and just, like, happy as can be. And you would have never known what just happened in the parking lot. And so I'm still upset. I'm still, like, confused mostly. And I'm still worried about my son. Like, I'm still, it's all of the, a lot of emotions. And so I'm quiet. I'm still kind of figuring out, like, or trying to figure out, like, what just happened? And why is he so different? Like, it was not the same person in the parking lot just a few minutes prior well it all makes sense now you know this is 10 years later i can i can tell you that no one ever looked at his tattoos he needed to cause the situation he needed to get me quiet and out of the way because he was going to be the classroom dad with all these classroom moms like it was a rich area a very rich area and none of these moms worked well he didn't work at the time and so he had i, he, I worked and i had just started interpreting at the job i have now actually and um it's a, so I, I worked, I was gone 10 hours a day. So he would hang out with these classroom moms and he would teach them. He was teaching their kids guitar lessons after school or skateboarding lessons. Well, he did not skateboard well, like me, but at all to give lessons, but he didn't play guitar. Like I'd never saw the man pick up a guitar. I never t- heard him talk about a guitar. He didn't own a guitar, but he was teaching guitar lessons and they were paying him and he was hanging out with these moms. Do you get what I'm saying? Like he, if you look back, it makes sense. He no one ever looked at his tattoos that day. He that was that was a manipulation. Like he needed me out of the way. Do You get what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. he was going to be the classroom mom.
0: And he he, he needed to not. He, so he's making a scene. He's oh. having you disappear from a situation so he can take over a room, and. Yes. You know, not just that, he can also then say something bad about you while you are not there. So he has the ability to smear you because he's very good at um, partitioning or. Um, what's the? I guess partitioning is a good word uh, of getting you out of situations and getting people by themselves, so he can create his own stories of what yes. is going on that is far from the reality because he's creating some sort of reactive abuse in sort of a way or creating a fight to to cause that friction.
1: Yes. Always, he's like he was so good at it. I mean, this man should be like an award actor. Like he's so good at it. And so, imagine like it already happened in what, the prior city we lived in prior. Now we moved here and I've got this school and all these moms against me, you know, there, there was another story that I think also with these same classroom moms, that it's important to tell you this story, but in another way that he was able to do that exact same situation, just in a different way. But like we, we were going to one of the classroom birthday parties. It was probably like a Saturday morning and we go to this place and a mom, another mom that was there, like he Looked at her, so there's a bunch of like you know other parents around, and he looks at this mom, and he it, it it was like a cartoon where like you know the wolf and his eyes pop out like oh god, you know what I mean? Like he looked at this woman like for up and down, like just gawking at her, and again, we're at a birthday party with ch- children all around. He it wasn't that the woman was so beautiful or anything. I mean, she was very pretty. That wasn't the fact. He needed me because he knew if he could make me jealous or he could make me feel insecure, he could get me out of the way again and have his way with these moms again. And so he did that immediately getting to this birthday party. I was so mortified. I left the birthday party. We had ridden together. And I went and, like, walked down the road and just sat there. This is so embarrassing looking back. But, like, I was too embarrassed my you know, soon to be husband at the time was like gawking at a, at a child's birthday party at this mother that was so over the top. It was not discreet. Again, that was another, um, that was the exact same situation, just in a different way where he was like, let's get, let's get her mad. Let's get her jealous. Let's get her insecure. And let's get her out of the way. And it worked because I left, you know what I mean? Like I always played into these situations like a fiddle. He could play me like an absolute fiddle.
0: Um, and is he someone that you know? With you, he's one way, and then in other situations, he can turn on the charm and can yes. ha- and can have a conversation in any type of group.
1: Yes, he can. Remember, I had told you he was with the AA people and the quote in the Big Book and the church people. He he could change like that. I had never seen anything like it, and he could fit into any group of people, and not only fit in. But have them believing, like, you know, just these fabricated stories and really, like, going to bat for him. Like, he had some of the moms just, like,
0: later on,
1: you know, mean to me and just, and stuff. I wasn't even doing, I, I was the one working. I worked 10 hours a day interpreting in a whole different city. And you know what I mean? Like, it's just, he would get these people emotionally involved. They were being abused, too. They were part of his stunt. They were part of his you know, he set the stage and they were the actors. They didn't know, you know. So
0: so he's mirroring everybody.
1: Everyone. And it's so weird that like this, remember I told you he's covered in tattoos, covered. Well, but he can go into the richest area in Austin and fit in with these moms, these professional people. You know, when he, I just told you, he was a busboy at a taco stand, you know, like just a couple years prior, like, He's not these same people. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, he's he's not cut from their same cloth, but he can get them so emotionally invested in him and going to bat for him and bullying me and triangulating. In the So I've got these classroom moms, and, you know, I'm just still never reacting the right way. I look back, and I'm like, God, I was so dumb. I just, you know, but...
0: So exactly what he did to you. He goes into these situations. He mirrors whatever uh, topic or things that they like, and then he plays the victim card, and then yep. creates a common enemy for yes. you guys for them to bond over, and yes. they'll bond over you being the the problem. And yes. for you, he's mirrored you in the sense. Did he even like punk rock music?
1: Yeah. Yeah, he does. Okay,
0: so uh, what else did he kind of mirror uh, about you? Uh,
1: Well, obviously, like, that he was a freaking Christian, you know, or a good person, someone that wanted a family. Like, I actually thought we were going to have a family. I didn't know. I was, you know, this being triangulated with every person that came into our lives, and Still, still at this time, I'm very confused. I'm not realizing he's the enemy, really. Yeah, he just screamed and yelled at an innocent mom. But I'm thinking, oh, he must, you know, maybe he's so insecure because she looked at his tattoos. I didn't know I, it was a ploy. I didn't know I was in, involved in this, like, you know, like, psyop, basically. And, um, But, yeah, am mirroring me because I thought I had a family man. I thought I had someone that, like, actually wanted a family, (laughs) you know, like to raise our child, right. But like every step of the way, it's just this crazy scenarios, crazy out of left field. So around this time, um, I had gotten sober again. He actually had, uh, one of his His sponsor, he had suggested that I work with one of his sponsor's wife's sponsees. So it was kind of like a a sponsor that I got through him, which this woman, and it was a girl. She's actually younger than me. She ended up being um, really instrumental in me leaving. But um, I think looking back, I think during this time period, he was like, I I don't know, like he had done the things with the triangle, me with, you know, my son's new school in Austin and all of that, and the AA people there, but, um, oh, he would sow the seeds of doubt, like, you know, by this time his parents had bought him this beautiful condo, and he would say, like, look around, you wouldn't live in a beautiful house like this if it wasn't for me, um, look at our son, he makes straight A's, like, our, our son would never make straight A's with you, um. If I, like, when it, we, if we would go to eat, he would always correct me in front of the waiter or the waitress or, I mean, he loved to do that. He loved to, if I said something wrong, if I pronounced the word wrong or, or when I'm ordering, you know, that's not how you order that. Like, that's not, you should, or the man, that's not how you cut your food or, like, if I ate my pancakes, I would cut, I would peel my pancakes. I didn't even use a fork or knife. You know, especially for someone that wasn't as nice, and I would dip it in the, and so he would say, like, you know, that's so embarrassing that you eat your pancakes like that. Like, you know, you should use a fork and a knife like a normal person. Or it just, it was a lot of, like, um, oh, and just stuff that kept you on your toes where you couldn't relax. Like, if I took a shower, I had to squeegee the shower before I could put a towel on, before I could dry off. I had to squeegee. Mind you, you know, it's certain, during the winter or whatever, it's cold, and you want to put a towel on. You're dripping wet, and you have to squeegee. And then he would come in and just, like, check to make sure you didn't miss a spot. And you'd be sitting there, like, shivering, and you want to get out of the shower. And it's just stuff to keep you, like, in a frenzy or keep you on your toes where you can't relax. I can never relax. You would always on eggshells. And then, like, if I wanted to pour a bowl of cereal, I had to measure it like a fourth of a cup and I was never able to eat more than a fourth of a cup of cereal and I had to measure it. Couldn't just freehand it and pour the cereal out of the box and just like, um, I, I had one of the friends I had told you about that ended up, that worked at my son's daycare when my, my son was a baby. Well, during this time that I lived with him in Austin, you know, my son's older now, he's in school. And I remember that same friend of mine that had his number because she remembers him from that daycare. She came to visit me one day. And this is just an example of keeping you on your toes and also an example of the isolation and some of the tactics, but she comes over. And so as soon as she walks in the house, he's like, you need to take your shoes off. And she said something like, oh, okay, well, I'll take them off, but I'm not dirty. Um, and she, she was just trying to, like, make an awkward situation, like, cute or funny. And she's like, I'm not a dirty hippie. And he started, she had brought us Mexican food. Like, she had bought all of this food her, our, herself, herself, just spent, like, over $40 and brings all this to-go Mexican food. And he ends up screaming at her in her face, just like, you know, ah, you know, fuck, fuck you, don't fucking cuss on here. But, like, you know, how dare you, call, you just, I don't even know what he said, but screaming at the top of his lungs. And she's just staring at him, and I, I freeze. Like any time he would lose his cool like that, I would freeze. I just had no response. And I have apologized to that friend. Her and I are actually extremely close to this day. And um, but I have apologized profusely to her for not standing up to her because when he started screaming at her, I just I didn't take up for her. I should have, you know. But I was just so psycholo- so psychologically abused, and so like. I guess it's that freeze or fine, you know, I just would always freeze, I'd just go into the almost like, <gasps> where I could not react ever. And, um, but anyways, he just had this, like, it, it was just every single person, his tactics changed. He could, I, he isolated me so good and so well. And it just changed so often that it, it just it was never even the same tactic that he used, um, during that same time period, um, this sounds crazy, but I mean, this really happened, but like the, where in that condo, there was a, a bunch of trees. So we lived in a, the two story, it was a above, you know, two story. And like, we would just be sitting there and like, if say like, he would just mute, mute the TV. And he would say like, do you hear that? And I'm like, hear what? And he's like, Shh do you hear that? I'm like, I don't hear anything. Like, what, what are you talking about? And then he would go over to like the neighbor's house and just like start beating on their door. And I guess they had their TV too noisy. Like, I'm not sure, um, really ever what the problem was there, but like, he just was just like so erratic and so crazy. But then to the normal person, like to his friends, to his people that, you know, he could, he presented someone so different, but like he would um, one time I was in the house alone in the condo alone and I was in the back bedroom and i heard like a like i heard like metal like a metal sound like a clank and i went and i looked i went out on the patio and like opened this you know the patio door the opened the screen door walked out there and there so behind like where the second store is a bunch of trees nothing but trees back there is a wooded area and there was just a ladder like a so someone had just grabbed a ladder and just you know just and, and it's terrified me. And I remember grabbing my son. My ex was not there. I, I, looked, I mean, I think it was him. At the time, I didn't think. I think now that that was him. But who else would just randomly clank a ladder so loud, like intentionally trying to make you hear it, that I would go check to see what the noise was and do, would do a ladder, you know, when it's nothing but wooded area back there. And so and it frightened me so bad that I grabbed my son and we drove to Waco. My parents still remember this. And they go, oh, why would you come to town? And I, and I told them about the latter story. Just a lot of eerie stuff like that, you know, and it's, you repeat these stories and they sound so outlandish, but they're true. You know, like that's how <laughs> it is just something to always keep you on your toes, always keep you in a state of panic. And, um, I mean, even since we're no contact now, but even since we've been no contact, it's, it's, there have been still situations like that that have kept you know, me in a state of frenzy or panic. And uh, we've been almost five years, no contact. I'm starting to relax, but there are definite things he does to instill fear, uh, definite things he does. But, um, but just back to that situation, it's just always trying to keep you in a, in a, in a tense state, if that makes sense. Like you couldn't ever relax, you know, whether it was who's going to, who's going to hate me today. Who's he going to triangulate? What, what scene is he going to cause? It made you almost have like a, you know, PTSD in a sense like anxiety to go anywhere new because you never knew what was going to happen you never knew what was going to happen moments prior to walking into the door of this you know place that we were about to go especially if it was someone he knew or someone that he wanted to impress you never knew but then sometimes we would go places and it would be wonderful you know like we'd have a good time so it's just it just I don't know you never knew what to expect you never knew what was coming and I think that's important for people to know. Like if you're always in a state of anxiety, if you're always, um, you know, if you cannot relax, if it's, if it's that all the time, like that's also like a huge red flag. Um, the beginning of the end for me situation with this man was this new sponsor that I was working with actually did, I would confide in her some of the things that were happening. And I, she told me, she said, you are an abused woman she's and and this was someone that he actually knew that it was like a a sponsee of his sponsor and he recommended the sponsor to me and she she was the first person she was not the first person to tell me I was abused from being abused she was the first person I heard it from but she said you are being abused you are an abusive relationship well so I had been working with her and um but I'm going to fast forward to the day that everything happened that made me leave. But so we were, I had told you prior, I have hardware in my neck. C1 through C7 was broke. Like I, and so I'm not taking pain pills. I'm sober and really still to this day. Like, so now we're 2016 now and I broke my neck in 2002. So this 14 years I had been trying medications and things to help relieve my neck pain and do it sober. And can't take those medications because they're narcotics. You know, it's just I really have really struggled with trying to live sober and not be in pain. And he knew this. And so um, that day, I had went to a, a a friend of mine was doing this treatment called an Alexander treatment. So it was, and this friend of mine is also in recovery.
0: The the, well, Ale- the Alexander technique.
1: Yeah, it's called the Alexander Treatment, and it's just like manipulation of the muscles. And my friend had contacted me. He knew that how bad I struggled with pain. He's in recovery, and he's like, I really think that I can help you. And so I go, and so at the time, my ex and his daughter and my son had left and went Uh, they were, like, rock climbing or whatever. And so my friend was going to do this Alexander treatment on me, and he was going to do this manipulation of the muscles. I guess a lot of, like, actors do this treatment and a lot of, like, ballet dancers, and it just really helps your posture and stuff. So I'm kind of like, sure, let's try it.
0: I've taken it before.
1: Oh, you have? Yes,
0: I have, yeah. I did it to Uh, fix my posture.
1: Oh, my God, yeah. When I left there, I physically looked different. My shoulders were back. Like, I didn't – I wasn't hunched over. Like, I – so good I, I I just was like wow like this is it like I yeah I just I'm not gonna have a humpback when I'm older because that's like one fear I have I have so much hardware you know and my, my shoulders will roll, roll forward yeah yeah it was amazing I remember even looking at in the mirror like I look different like this is different you know and so my friend that did this Alexander treatment he was like you know I will do this discounted rate for you like he he knew how bad like I had struggled with you know, my neck pain. I've even by this time had a breast reduction trying to ease the weight and like all of this. Well, he knew about how bad I struggled. So he had said like, I'll give you a discounted rate. Like, let's get you in good shape. And I felt great when I left him, when I left my friend's office, I felt so great. So I'm, I called my ex who's with his daughter and my son and they're at a rock climbing place. And that night we were supposed to go to a Christmas party with a bunch of AA people. Well, I, I, I left and went to the rock climbing place and met them. And when I showed up there, my ex was really being rude to me. And in front of his daughter, when he was rude to me in front of his daughter, it would embarrass me because I felt like, well, A, it was just embarrassing. B, I felt like she would go tell her, her mom and like, oh, my dad hates her so much. She, you know, like, C, so meaner. It's just was really embarrassing. And C, I don't like my son to see that stuff, you know? So I left. So remember I had my own car because I met them there. So my, my ex was being very mean to me of his daughter I was embarrassed I left I went home in the back bedroom when they come in I'm in the back bedroom and I hear them come in and so I went through the hallway I come into the living area where they are so it's the three of them and I'm just like hey like you know like trying to talk to him like why aren't you being rude early like like, let's talk about this and he was started being like like screaming at me in front of his daughter Again, like, I don't want to be screamed out in front of her. This is embarrassing. I didn't want to be screamed out, period. Like, it gets me, like, super in a frenzy. And so I just left. I went back through the hallway, and I slammed the door. I should not not have slammed the door, but I did. Well, when I did, I came back out, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to say one last thing to him. Well, by this time, he's in the hallway. So when he heard me slam the door, he went through the hallway. Well, my son followed him. He did not know my son was chasing after him. And his daughter was still in the living room. So when I come out to say that one last thing, he slammed me into the wall full force. He's, he's really tall, and I'm, 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 little, I'm a little. I'm not, I'm like 5'5", five five, but I just mean I'm, very, I'm a small stature. I'm extremely thin, and he uh, slammed me full force into the wall, and I, my head hit the wall, and then I slid down the wall, like I, and so I get back up and, you know, gain my composure, and he did it again, full force slam. And immediately when he slammed me the second time, he walks back, he goes back into the living room where his daughter is and acts like nothing ever happened. But remember, my son followed him down the hallway. He did not mean for my son to see that attack. He did not mean it. So his daughter did not know it happened unless she heard my head hit the wall. But apparently she did not. Um, But so since I ended up calling 911, like something in me was like, this is it. Like, Dial 911, like, this can be the end. That's, you know, basically what I kept thinking. I just wanted, like, I-, I want a clean break from this. Like, so I call 911, and when I call 911, he yells into the phone, She's hitting me, but I wasn't hitting him. And so it's kind of like I'm looking at him, and I, I it's everything. Ten years start to just makes sense. It it all just snaps into focus. Like it all, like I was an abused woman. I kept trying to, you know, you people were wrong. Like, Oh, the, it, it all made sense that day. I had a rude awakening. Um, and so my ex leaves and goes to a Christmas party after slamming me into a wall twice And leaves with his daughter to go to a Christmas party and mingle with a bunch of AA people that still to this day have no idea what just happened moments prior to him leaving to go to this Christmas party. I'm pretty sure, you know, he triangulated some things and did some pity things for them. And it's just like, but for me, that was my rude awakening. Like I was able to leave, um, there was no coming back from from that. A, I just watched him lie through. I I mean, I watched it. I saw it happening that she's hitting me and all that. But B, I had just had my neck worked on and he knows that I broke my neck in 2002 from a car accident. That Something happened. That was not my fault. And he knew that I struggled and how bad I struggled. And, All the medications I had tried and the breast reduction and the TENS units and this and that, all of the struggling for 14 years. At this time, it had been 14 years, you know, that I had struggled with my neck pain. And for him to throw me into a wall after I literally just came home from having my neck worked on, like, there's no coming back from that for me. You know, like, he could not tell me that happened any differently than it did. Okay, he could not gaslight me and tell me that that happened differently because I remember it. Because it, all the years prior, he could come back and tell me that's not how I happened, like that's not what was said. You did the, and it would just get me in this confused state. That day, I saw everything clearly. I know exactly what happened. Um, and so I left. And I did not press charges. Um, I didn't want my son to see his dad and get arrested. Like I, I look back, and I really do wish that I had pressed charges. But I did not. Um, I, uh, but my, my ex left and went to a Christmas party with a bunch of AA people. I, and to this day, like, I'm still really shaken up over what happened that day. Uh, really, it's not so much shaken up over being thrown into a wall. You're like, yeah, that sucked. But I'm shaken it more from seeing behind his mask. Uh, it, it, it's still, it's, uh, I've got some pretty bad PTSD, just actually there, from some of the post-abuse that's happened since that day. But, and just like instilling fear, but, um, for him to leave and go mingle at a Christmas party, I I don't know how you're able to attack someone, lie about it, say she's hitting me into the phone and then go mingle. Like, I'm pretty sure when he showed up at that Christmas party, like, Hey, how's your, how's the wife? How's the, you know, like no residual anxiety, no residual, you know, um, anger or emotion. Like it was just dropped. Like, you know what I mean? Like who, who can do that? Uh, you know, and it, it really baffles me. And um, so, anyways, I was able to leave and get out of there. And I had at the time started a new job just a couple months prior to this and was interpreting out of town. So, this is it's the job I still have today and was traveling. So, I travel two hours a day and I work, you know, eight hours a day. So, prior to this day, I was, you know, I, I had told you I was touch and go sober. Like, I would get a year here, get a year there. Prior, I was never able to attain, you know, years of sobriety just because of the medications or whatever. That day, seeing behind the mask, I've been sober. I'm almost five years sober. Um, my The amount of time that I've been away from him and, you know, the amount of time I've been sober are the same. Um I knew it was like something deep down inside of me was like, you can't ever use again. You can't ever take a pain pill again, because the alternative to that is my son turning out like this man. And I I just, I, I can't do that. Like I can't let my son turn out to be a monster. And I do, I do consider him someone that would be a monster, like who someone that can attack someone and immediately go to a Christmas party and mingle and lie and turn it, you know, a whole city against someone. So I was not only attacked that day, but I, you know, also, am not believed over what happened. And that's, it it is hard for me to accept that. But at the same time, it it gave me my awakening that I needed, like for me to stay sober. Like I, I knew to get my son away from this man, I had to be sober. And so I've been able to stay sober since then, because if I had, if I was able, if I was still taking pain medications, he would come, I knew he was coming for my son. And I don't know if in the future, you know, if something's going to happen where he's going to try to get my son, But, um, he did, since I've been no contact with him, he did serve me with papers because he was trying to get more time with our son. And so he hired the best lawyer. I had no lawyer. I had called the women's abuse center and they gave me an advocate. Well, uh, I went to court that day. I was terrified. I hadn't seen him since he attacked me. Um, and so we go to court and, It turned out he had two open warrants for domestic assault in New Mexico with one of his other baby's moms. So I I never knew the situation. But so we're in court and he was trying to get all this stuff. Like I was really about to get pretty hard bamboozled. Like I was really going to not come out good in this situation. But because he had those open warrants for domestic assault, it turned it where you know and mind you he has the best lawyer like he has the top rated lawyer and I have no lawyer and I have like basically his lawyer like eating out of the palm of my hands like um you know but I I didn't get railroaded and that would have happened because I had no lawyer but um I I mean that day I feel like I gained my strength like that day when he attacked me like I could have swept that under the rug I had a new job that I had just started who was going to help me move like Uh, You know, I just – I could have easily swept that under the rug, and I promise you if I had swept that under the rug and never mentioned it again, we would still – you know, I'd still be living there. My son would still be going to that wonderful school district, but I I, – just something in me was like, this is it. Like, this can be the end. This is it. And I left, and I just – it's just like literally taking that leap of faith. Like, I have no idea what's about to happen, but I know that I'm worth more than this. And I know that I don't deserve this and my son. And it really wasn't even at that time. Like, now, yeah, I don't think I deserve any of that. But at that time, it was really more about my son. You know, like, my son deserves to, like, look at his future wife one day and not be a woman abuser, not attack her and lie about it. Like, I didn't want him to turn out like that because he had that sweet spirit. And um,
0: so, you know... In this aftermath, you guys are co-parenting. Uh, what have been the issues you've had with him in the aftermath? And have you had issues with your child uh, in the aftermath as well?
1: Yeah. when uh, Immediately after leaving my ex, once we moved back to Waco, um, the first couple of years, to be honest, were not good with my son. Uh, he had learned, like he had... My ex would was real good at, like, kind of doing an intermittent, like, reward and stuff with my son. It's real psychological. Like, say he could get my son to yell at me or, t- or uh, insult me or say something mean to me, then he would uh, give him a treat or, like, you know, like, reward him in a way or kiss him or whatever. And so my son had learned to treat me that way. And so... When I left my ex, it was literally like I was still living with my my ex in the apartment. I mean, it was like I literally was still living with him. So we lived in this real crappy apartment at first for like three years, the first three years after I left him. And my son, would he was little. He was like eight. He was seven, eight. And he would like raise his voice at me and scream at me. Dad used to do just scream. How dare you? Like just screaming and get me real frazzled. And it's real interesting to try to parent a kid because I don't know. If, you know, people have this experience, it is a trauma-related thing. But when people scream at you, or at least to this, for me, when people start screaming at me, like, it makes my memory go really bad. It's like I don't know what we're talking about anymore. It's like it's a – I've read that that's a trauma response, that your memory, like, it's protecting you. But so my son would do all of the same things my ex would do just how you know you can't do anything right like oh yeah you never could do this you never like oh typical mom stuff like really it was literal like I lived in the house with my ex but um and then with you know him yelling at me and then me trying to parent him and tell him not to do something but now I have forgotten what it is he did it was just a real interesting hard hard time and then kind of feeling hopeless like I, wow, I got away from him and I get, I got away from him. So my son stood a chance, but now he's acting like him, you know, it was just a real defeating, you know, but I just kept on. I just kept on. I kept going to work. I kept anytime my son would scream at me, I would, you know, put my face in front of his, like, you're not going to talk to me that way. You're not going to talk to women that way. I just kept on. And, um, the first couple of years were a real struggle. I mean, a real struggle, but now we're almost five years no contact, and my son and I are extremely close again. He's 12 years old. Uh, I feel like I'm going to cry because it was so worth it. Um, uh, we're extremely close again, and he respects me, and he doesn't scream at me anymore. And, uh, I'm sorry. It was just so worth it. It was really worth it. It was worth all the battle that we went through. It was. It was worth it. But we're no contact now, and my parents meet him at the police station uh, to swap our son. Um, there are other tactics my ex does. Like, he has sent my home my son home from visitation. Like, you know, oh, mom, listen to this song. And he played, like, the F.U. by CeeLo Brown. But then he played a song. Um, it was about a samurai murdi- murdering a young boy's mom. And you could hear the mom. It was a rap song and you could hear the mom like screaming in the background of the song and like it was real eerie it was like the guy was bragging about getting away with it and it's like bragging about not getting caught and you know it just it was it was like he played that song on purpose for my son to play for me and like i don't know like whenever i when i first left him he had po- packed my boxes like i called number one i left i'm moved to my parents. I had just grabbed my clothes. But I um, mean, but all my boxes, like housewares and stuff, like he put my ex, packed those. And he had left them out on the, the carport for us. Well, when I first moved back to town, to Waco, I lived with my parents for like six weeks or something until I got an apartment. Well, when I finally got my apartment, I unpacked those boxes that he had packed. Well, when I, I pulled out a coffee press, with, you know, it's a, it's a glass coffee press, and he had put a, a, a newspaper clipping of a gun in there. And so that instilled a lot of fear in me. And I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but he has negligent homicide on his record because he had killed his ex best friend in the nineties, long before I met him. And I was always told that was an accident. I don't think that was an accident or, um, I think it was an, I think he murdered that man. Uh, you know, I really, really do. Uh, I, I, he never told me the story, but just a lot of the things that's happened since we've been no contact, the sending my son home with the murderer songs and the, the, the gun and the coffee press, like just, um, you know, remember the ladder, the clank, the the bunch of the eerie things that he's done, I just, uh, just, he's instilled a lot of fear in me, but I just keep going, you know, uh, God's protected me. Like, oh my gosh, like everything that happened in court, like, you know, God really has looked out for me. So I still have my job. Um, I've been able to buy a four bedroom house, uh, all the things he told me I can never do, I've done, uh, you know, <laughs> but one thing that is still really hard for me to, you know, come to terms with is my oldest son was pushed out of the picture pretty good, and all of that hasn't been repaired. Um, I, you know, I feel like my two sons don't know each other hardly. Um And that's hard for me to come to terms with. I I do think that that will be restored in the future and they will have a close relationship. But it's just the damage done from this relationship is so deep that, you know, I just would hate, I just just wish more, just the awareness. And that's why, like, I love your podcast. Like, the awareness really needs to be out there because, you know, a lot of times the damage is just irreparable. Like. You know, I, I, I have come out of the other side. Like, I do consider myself really strong. Like, I don't let the opinions of others, like, sway me. Like, I've pushed through the pain. I've stayed sober through the pain. I mean, there are days, sometimes before it rains, like, my neck will flare up days. And I'm talking so bad to a level, like, I mean, it's... Terrible. It's terrible. But I will still go to work and work those 10 hour days. I will still do it in pain. And, you know, I work with the deaf, and my student, you know, he's deaf. He'll look, take one look at me and he can say, Your next hurting today, isn't it? Like, he can just see it on my face. He can see my expression change. But I will still work, work in pain. But it's just the, the thing, but I could never stay sober. I could never do that before. I could never like, struggle through the pain before, so it's, like, this terrible experience with my ex, it's, like, seeing through, seeing behind the mask that day, it, it gave me the strength to, to persevere, you know, to push through the pain, to push through the, you know, all of the obstacles to push through that, and I never had that strength before, so it's, like, it's kind of, like, a, bittersweet it's like yeah it caused all this destruction in my life and some of it is irreparable but at the same token it gave me what i needed to stay sober and you know
0: so how has your healing process been and what have you kind of done to help you through it
1: well no contact first and foremost um i when we went to court i had that woman abuse the women's abuse advocate and she was able to put some boundaries in place i have a hidden address, um, that forwards my mail. So if any documents that he has to send me, he can send it to the address. They'll forward it to me. Um, my parents meet him at the police station. So I don't have to see him. Uh, he's not able to call my phone. Um, has to email me. And so, you know, that's been helpful that I don't have someone screaming at me or telling me that something happened differently or, you know, that kind of things. But he has tried through email and he tried on my birthday, which was funny. I knew he did it on purpose. You know, people like that, they'll do like, they'll wait for like a a moment that's like special to you. Birthdays were always a thing in the past that he would cause this huge thing on my birthday. Well, he, you know, he still have done those things through email, but it's, it's not the same. I mean, yeah, it's, it's annoying. It's, not good that that happens, but it's still differently than having someone scream in your face and then tell you that it happened differently or tell you that it's your fault because you said this, that you didn't say or whatever. So just having those boundaries, such as the email and stuff like has been instrumental like him. He cannot come to my house. He cannot call my phone. He, I haven't seen him. I've only seen him one time in court, having my parents meet him at the police station. So he still has visitation with my son. He still gets at my son every other weekend, but I don't have to see him. And that has been the main thing that's helped me to heal. You know, I don't think if I was seeing him and haven't, he would still be doing those tactics. You know, I don't think I would have the growth that I've had today. I I don't.
0: And as far, Uh, as far as your like PTSD goes and the hypervigilance, you know, like that subsided as well with just him not being there.
1: No, no, uh, I still have it pretty bad. I, I still have a lot of the hypervigilance. I am starting to get a bit better. I'm starting to come out of my shell a little bit. But the first few years, like, I'm pretty sure, like, I, I just, I, I would just watch everyone. Like, I was like that before. I was always just, like, carefree and, I, I you know, didn't watch people to think they're about to, like, you know, hurt me. Like, now if I go somewhere, like, say I go to a, a Pull my car into a parking lot, and if there's someone, especially a guy, but even a woman in the car next to me, I'll pull right back out because I won't get out if someone's in the car next to me. Like, I think they're gonna grab me. It's just like, uh, like even my next, like, so I've moved in a house now. I bought a four bedroom house in my son's school district, and, um, just like the first, like, I wouldn't come home after dark, or if I did come home after dark, I would make some, like, my parents, like, come home and make sure I got in the house and I just had, I, the first few years were really scary like I remember my next door neighbor uh one time she had a white car and the, the last I had seen my you know knew of my ex he ha- had a white car and one day I came home and there was a white car parked and I remember stopping in the middle of the street and I froze and then all of a sudden my neighbor my next door neighbor goes oh I'm sorry I'll move that car and I realized it was like their car it was like her son's or something but I didn't know at first and she saw me freeze and so when she said that, when she was like, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll have him move that car. I was like, Oh no, you're fine. Like I didn't, I'm sorry. I thought that was my ex's car. Like it scared me. And then she ended up confiding in me that she had a situation in the past with someone, you know, that scared her and that they had to go to court over. So that was kind of a bonding moment between us, but she saw me freeze, you know, like I still have that where I'll just freeze. Um, No, I've been, I I would hate for my ex to know this, and I'm sure he'll never hear this, but like, no, the first, it's been, I've been extremely scared. I really have. I mean, sending him home with those murder songs and the the gun in the coffee press and knowing he's killed someone. And, you know, his parents hired this, like, you know, really great lawyer that put it down to negligent homicide. Like, I, I mean, he's killed someone and now he's, you know, doing these subtle threats to me. Yeah, I've been extremely scared. What are you going to do? Like, I, all the stuff he's done since we've been no contact has been real subtle. Like, you can't get someone arrested for sending your son home with murder songs about killing your, you know, the baby's mom. Or you you, you can't pinpoint those. It's it's called hidden abuse. Like, you, it's psychological stuff. You can't pinpoint it. There's uh, just recently there was a big a men's shoe, like, found out, right outside of one of my windows. It was behind some rose bushes. There was a big men, men's sketcher shoe, just one right up against the window behind a rose bush. And the only reason I even saw it is because I was watering the, the flowers. So you know, of course my first thought is him. Um there's Uh, I had a boulder come through my windshield one day, and I doubt that this was my ex, but it's just still, he's instilled so much fear in me. It's like, that's my first thought. My first thought goes to him. Oh my God, he threw a boulder off a windshield. You know, I had a situation where my car caught fire since we've been no contact, and he, again, was my first thought. And I'm not saying he caught my car on fire. I don't think that it was him. I think it was probably some like, you know, Malfunction, but at the same time, it's my first thought. I asked the cop, I said, Is this someone something that someone could have done to my car? You know, it's just like he's just created such a mental like fear of him, it just with such all the subtle things that he's done. It, it's kept me in a state, you know, but I, I just keep pushing through it and it is starting to subside. But I don't know if it would if if it would subside if I was still seeing him, like physically seeing him having to swap our sons, like my heart really breaks for people that don't have someone to swap their son for them, because how do you heal? How do you heal from something like that? If you're still having to physically see that person, you know what I mean? Or talk to them on the phone or have them berate you and, or scream at you. Like how, how would you heal? How would I be able to do that and work the job that I have now? You know, like I just wish there was almost like a, a ministry or some kind of like agency that would help people like to stay no contact with their abusers if they share share children. Because it's, it's really been instrumental in me healing, you know?
0: And if you had uh, any words of wisdom or, or advice for uh, everyone listening before we end our talk here today, what would it be?
1: Um, just to listen to your gut. That would be the main thing. Don't let anyone tell you that something happened differently than what you know that it happened. Um, and you know, don't cut your friends and family off for relationships. I mean, that's, don't do it, you know, and just keep on pushing on and you're, you can do it. You can, you can raise your children yourself. Like you can be successful. You can keep a job, like any of the things that they're, that they're telling you that you cannot do, it's a lie and just keep on pushing on. That's it.
0: Well, Kaya, I want to thank you for being here with me today, sharing your story. You had so many, you know, from the tactics to, you know, the, the twists kind of here at the end of what you had to deal with, the gaslighting, uh, and then the abuse after the fact and, you know, sticking with your child through all of this and uh, making sure that they don't become what... uh you know, you were dealing with and it takes a lot of bravery. It takes a lot of work and you've done a lot of work and you should be proud of yourself that you got here. And that, you know, you've gone through a lot from your own addictions to to this and you're here and you're doing well. You still, you know, you're living in this kind of state of fear still, but, you know, you are getting there and you should be really proud of yourself. And I want to thank you for helping everyone out there listening today as well, because I know you're going to help a lot of people. So thank you.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: And for everyone who is listening, from Kaya and I, we hope you have a good night.